Perform this on demand. Breaching the fault lines of today. Welcome to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to another episode this week of Reform This on the Blaze Radio Network. A place where you'll find an American Muslim patriot, someone who's willing to admit that the Muslim consciousness has a long ways to go across the world, from Saudi Arabia to Pakistan to Egypt to Syria to many Muslim populations in the West to bridge that gap, to defeat theocratic Islamism and come to terms with Western modernity, to advance liberty, to advance freedom. And every week, you and I have a little conversation about those front lines, the battlefronts, where we can tweak an understanding of political Islam, where we can tweak the areas in which free speech, women's rights, Minority rights, human rights are discussed, and I can show you how you don't have to be an expert in Sharia to quickly become an expert, an understanding citizen who understands the threat of Islamist ideology and how it is incompatible with Western freedom. Here on Reform This, we do it every week. This week is no different. I'm going to step away from the politics. We talked about the midterms last week. We talked about all of the areas that we have yet to address, and this week I'm going to step back. There was a little interaction that President Trump and Emmanuel Macron, the president of France, had commemorating the 100th anniversary of the end of World War I. And during that interaction, there was a discussion about nationalism. Macron raised it. He said, nationalism is a betrayal of patriotism. He said, by saying that our interests are first, who cares about the others? We erase what a nation holds dearest, its moral values. And thus ensued President Trump's response. And I don't want to even get into necessarily his response other than to tell you that, as Marco Rubio wrote in the Wall Street Journal and so many others have written, President Trump is right about nationalism. That was the piece with the byline of Marco Rubio that appeared on November 13, 2018. And I'm going to dedicate this episode to a discussion of why. Why American national identity is the most important subject for this country not only for domestic issues, but for the global fight against Islamism. Almost on every front, if you begin to understand what our national identity is, it will help you in national security against internal threats, help you against immigration uh, uh, vetting, it'll help you against figuring out who our allies are abroad. All of those things center on an understanding of nationalism, national identity, and what it means to be American. Marco Rubio's piece, I think, highlighted a lot of this discussion, and I'll let you listen to it. But I want to give you, I'll let you read it, but I want to talk to you a little bit about what national identity means to me. Because if we get this wrong, if we get this wrong, we will lose the battle against national Islamic identity. Because a quarter of the world's population is Muslim. 
So the best antidote, the best antidote, when Macron says that nationalism is betrayal of patriotism by saying our interests are first, who cares about others? We erase what a nation holds dearest, its moral values. And remember, I talked to you last time, um, a number of months ago, about Sarkozy's unbelievable speech in the Emirates or in Dubai. I can't remember where it was, especially, specifically, but other than to tell you that he gave a speech basically deploring democratic populism, which obviously populism has its problems, but it's democracy. And he was envying the, the tyrannical royal families who were able to control messaging and saying that they were better apt and, and better systems to fight populism. So these French presidents seem to look at their own history in Europe and equate nationalism with Nazism, equate nationalism with Italian fascism of Mussolini, equate it with Japanese fascism, and thus ethnic and racial nationalism, thus somehow is equated to all nationalism. And I'm not one here as, as a Syrian-American or whatever hyphenated American we happen to be. I'm not one here who is going to defend hyper-nationalism. Hyper-nationalism is a problem. It leads to fascism. But the very identity of who we are as Americans is the essence of my work, of what this podcast is all about. If we understand this and we can translate that into cultures that come to see us, that come to become part of our society, then we will be able to inoculate and insulate ourselves from the threat of all collectivisms, be it communism, socialism, or political Islam and its theocracy. So the national identity of being American centers on the idea of the American dream, centers on the idea of liberty. We are all created equal under God with a declaration of independence of inalienable rights. And then from it, a central fulcrum of a constitution. I've told you before on this program how my family, my parents felt American the moment they t set foot on the soil. It was an idea that they had studied, that they had read about as my father studied in London and said, you know, I want to be an American. He dreamt of being an American, came here, sought political asylum, waited and prayed that he'd be accepted, was initially not legal for a few months, and then ultimately became legalized a legal resident upon approval from his congressman in Ohio. Now, I grew up in Wisconsin, but his point of entry was Ohio, in which he did his internship. And I remember him telling me as I grew up that he chose America because it was an idea, not because it was a landmass, not because it was going to give him economic freedom, but because it was an idea that embraced immigrants, that embraced an individual dream that gave him access to a legal system that was based in reason and equality, that was not the Syrian system, the Syrian fascist, Ba'athist, Arabist system. It was not the Islamist system of the Ikhwan, the Muslim Brotherhood, or any other theocracies that were the plague and still are the plagues of the Middle East. Americanism was that nationalism that he embraced. And from that drew the emotion of patriotism. So 
There is a difference, ladies and gentlemen. We've seen, I've been seeing all over Twitter and social media that, no, stop talking nationalism. This is about patriotism. I'm sorry. The way I see it and the way I was raised, patriotism is that emotion from within of what an individual feels as a patriot, as a patriot to his or her country. Nationalism is that uniting idea that brings us together as one nation under God with liberty and freedom for all. That's nationalism. There's a difference. Patriots are those who respect and adore and love their nation. Nationalism is the idea that brings us together. So in America, we don't call it nationalism. We call it Americanism. But that is our nationalism. So I can tell you, and I think it's important that you hear this from an American Muslim and as founder of the American Islamic Forum for Democracy because that national identity founded in a constitution that is based on liberty, based on freedom, based on the Bill of Rights, free speech, freedom of assembly, freedom of worship, our first liberty, religious freedom, against theocracy as our founding fathers did it. That fact that it's against theocracy but for religious liberty and embraced all to come to to share that one central organizing principle that then, as Marco Rubio mentioned, Abraham Lincoln articulated the best in his first inaugural address where he said, though passion may have strained, it must not break our bonds of affection. The mystic cords of memory stretching from every battlefield and patriot grave to every living heart and hearthstone all over the broad land will yet swell the chorus of the Union, winning in touch that surely they will be by the better angels of our nature. So, from the Founding Fathers, through we've struggled with what it means to be American, but our uniting patriotism, what made me want to join the Navy, and as I've said so many times before, what made me feel that the only thing I would ever die for is the U.S. Constitution, is that national identity, is that sense that if I belonged, I deserve to give back. As Kennedy said, don't ask for what the country can do for you, but what you can do. That is what I was raised. Every faith teaches that. The golden rule to your not only your brothers and sisters in your communities, but to your country. Do for your country as you would want it to do for you. So if I belonged... The only thing I would die for, as my brothers and sisters in America die for me to keep my freedom free, is this country. I never needed to die for my faith. That's God's faith. If God is all-knowing and omnipotent and omniscient, he does not need me to die to preserve his faith. That certainly is not necessary. So I abandon any sense of understanding of what an Islamic or a Muslim army would be, or an Islamic State for that matter. And we're going to get into that in the next segment. But I think, think it's so important that while, yes, we can acknowledge that during the Trump campaign and others, the concept of nationalism may not be articulated as well. Populism may be mixed in with nationalism. But this country has been hungry, has been thirsty for a reinvigoration of what it means to be American. We've lost that. Not just because of the last administration, but that certainly didn't help. But the, the, this concept, this far-left concept, 
that Macron articulated that somehow we should care more about the world, which is fine to do. Human rights, um, empathy, altruism is part of what it is to be an American. But unless America is strong, we cannot be altruistic. Unless America is strong, we cannot take in refugees. So these things are central. But first, we must understand what it means to be American and and embrace that and not lose it and water it down to where we simply become global citizens. That doesn't make any sense. No, I am not a global citizen with the Saudi regime or the Iranian regime or Pakistani regime or the Russians or the Chinese or every other tin pot dictator across the planet. I'm an American citizen who will die for this country because not only of its constitution, but of its people. It's people who embrace my rights as much as they embrace their own. That is a spirit that we will lose if we do not embrace and lift up as a national identity. That's not supremacism, ethnic supremacism, racial supremacism. That's not what that is. When you've got skinheads and Nazis and neo-Nazis and fascists in using the name of America and the idea of America in their whims of fascism, that doesn't then force us to abandon what our national identity is because all of a sudden it becomes a bad word. And I'm here to tell you as a Muslim that if we don't get this right, I don't have any weapons against political Islam. I have nothing in the quiver against political Islam when Muslims are dying to become jihadis and join an Islamic state, join ISIS, join the Saudi regime of their Islamic state and their flag or the Pakistani Islamic Republic or the Iranian Islamic Republic. The only way I have to counter that is to tell them, embrace Americanism, embrace the identity of our flag and what it means, because this is the freedom that will allow you to be as Muslim or not as Muslim as you want to choose to be human, to be who you are. We'll be right back on Reform This. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to Reform This on the Blaze Radio Network. We're talking about nationalism, patriotism, and how it's the only weapon reformist Muslims have. When you think about it, we can talk about the need to reinterpret passages and encounter the ideas of, 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 of terror methods and means. But at the end of the day, if you don't change the goalpost, if you don't change where the end zone is and what's in the end zone, all you're arguing about is means. And that's what countering violent extremism has always been. It's always been about fighting what the means are. Enough with fighting just the means. The bigger threat than the violent Islamists are the nonviolent ones because they appear to be normal, and yet they're using our constitution as Omar Qudrat and his campaign, a Republican who unfortunately lost in his San Diego district, who said that the groups like the Council on American Islamic Relations are constantly weaponizing the constitution against us. What does weaponizing mean? It means they live under the rubric of freedom and liberty and say that they're the aggrieved victims while they use that freedom to pull apart our society, to insinuate Muslim Islamist supremacism and defeat our ideas so that they can spread their own. This is a threat. And grant, granted, we don't want the government filtering that 
those ideas because that's a slippery slope towards the end of our Constitution, towards the end of Americanism. But if we always play defense and we have no offensive liberty, then we will lose because the Islamists have an operation that is divided globally among similar pathways, be it the neo-Ottoman moves of Erdogan and his Islamist Muslim Brotherhood-like group called the AKP, be it the Saudi Wahhabis and their supremacist ideology, be it the Islamic Republic of Pakistan, be it the Khomeinists. These are hundreds of millions of people and just the groups I've just named. The Ikhwan of Egypt, on and on, just in the Middle East with ideas spreading with billions of petro-Islamic dollars to not only redefine Islam and re-weaponize Muslims against Western ideas, against non-Muslims, but also to insulate their own community from the threat of liberty, from the threat of freedom and the American Constitution and Western constitutions. Now, Europe, I don't think, is a much of a threat anymore because they're falling back into either hypernationalism or complete appeasement of the Islamists, where they're recently, as I talked to you about a few episodes ago, the European Commission on Human Rights, I'm sorry, the European Court on Human Rights fined a woman for criticizing the Prophet Muhammad. Now, any faith that needs that kind of protection is not a legitimate faith. And yet, the European courts are protecting Muslims while denigrating Christianity and Judaism without any protections. Because they're a grieved minority of Muslims, when in fact that's actually empowering Islamists to dominate the form of Islam that they want. Now, we were talking about nationalism. And I told you, the only way to fight this communality of collectivist Islamic thought is to have Muslims feel that they belong to a bigger good, a nation state that protects them much more than the imam, much more than much more than their own theocracy would. And in fact, we should have them understand liberty to the point that they reject theocracy, no different than our founding fathers rejected theocracy. And this is relevant. This is not just ideological mumbo-jumbo. Why is it relevant? Memory TV has always been doing great work as far as chronicling and putting online, pulling in internet-based sermons that are online from the mosques and that get spread as publicly available material, but everybody misses. Well, they redistributed this week a couple of the sermons of Imam Abdullah Farooq from the mosque for the praising of Allah in Boston. And this guy, now you'll say, well, yeah, he's been known to be a firebrand. The Fox people in Boston and others, ABC, NBC, have covered the fact that he may have been radicalizing some of the Muslims in Boston. Well, may have or may not been. When we talk about national identity and what America is, I'm going to pull for you a few segments from a sermon on February 24, 2017 by Imam Abdullah Farooq. This man has not been ousted. He hasn't been ridiculed by the community. Google and see if any Muslims listening to this trash that I'm going to have you listen to said anything. So first, let's start. He talks about indigenous Americans. He's talking about Indian Americans, the original inhabitants of this great land. And let's see what he says. Let's take a listen. 
and see what he said. February 2017. Available publicly on the internet. The natives to this land, the people who are indigenous to this land, will never think of America as great until you Europeans either act right or go home. Act right or go home, you Europeans. He's talking to the people in front of him. One, one or the other. Either straighten this country up so that it can be great and know that it's always going to be inclusive of the faces that I have in front of me now and everybody that wants to submit to the will of God because this is, first of all, is God's land. The native. He's saying the people and faces that I have in front of me straighten up or go home or submit to the will of God. From his pulpit in Boston, Massachusetts, he's threatening the people of America that they are going to ultimately submit to Islam. So listen, I'm starting to give you a flavor of just one sermon from this guy. And he's one imam. One imam. There are so many more that also similarly, at different levels of severity, but this guy, I think, in one sermon is making it clear, thanks to uh, memory footage and thanks to... They, they pulled it right off the internet. This is, was on posted on the mosque's website for... I don't know how long, and available still publicly. This is public footage. His weekly sermons, Friday at the pulpit. I didn't hear anybody screaming in the mosque, knock it off, this is our country, get out of here. No, nobody was upset. His parishioners were just soaking it in. So here we are, talking about dancing on the head of a pin about nationalism versus what it means and ideology and all these kind of things. Meanwhile, you have a movement that this is the tip of the iceberg of fascist, Islamo-fascists, which are theocrats, that are using our freedom to radicalize Muslims in the United States and teach them that America is the source of the problems. He goes on. Calling upon God Almighty to send the European home, probably. Go back where you came from. Because you've done nothing but cause hell in this country and all over the world. And you can hear me, America. You know you've done it. This is not the land of the free and the home of the brave. It's the land of the coward and the home of the slave. Islam. It's the land of the coward and the home of the slave. Go back where you came from, he said. Nobody's screaming in the background. This guy didn't get kicked out. He continued to sit down and pray and do his so-called supplication to God while he threatened this country, while he demonized it and hated it. And people thought that as we listened to folks like Reverend Wright and others, that that was just aberrations, that that wasn't his real sermon. Well, this Islamist nonsense is similar separationism. It's a liberation theology. It's It's an equation of points in history that, yes, America needs to come to terms with, and that's what the Civil War was all about, destroying the idea of slavery, coming to terms with the real meaning of the U.S. Constitution and equality. And yes, we're still having tons of growing pains about how not to remain racist and and other aspects that, that even before our civil rights movement obviously still needed a lot of reform, a lot of public discussions and modernization and understanding, and yet we still remained the greatest democracy in the world. 
that other countries were still far behind us in their understanding and, and manifestations of the human nature. We have our flaws. We have tons of maturation to do. Now we're seeing the Me Too movement beginning to touch the surface of the equality of men and women. But yet, that does not mean that the inspiration of what American nationalism is, American patriotism and Americanism is not far, far more preferable as a human being than any form of Islamism. And he goes on. Islam is America's future, or without Islam, America will meet its demise. Islam needs submission to the will of God. This is one nation under God. I believe that even if you lied, and even if you lied about this, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, and you never believed that, and you didn't consider your fellow men as being your equal or fair, you're a bunch of cowards because you don't want to get on the basketball court with us because we'll whip you. We'll whip you. You don't want to get let us on the baseball field because we'll, we'll whip you. We'll whip you. You don't want to let us on the boardrooms because we'll whip you, or at least you give you a run for your money. You're outnumbered and you're afraid that even your women might love some of the people who say that they're Muslim or people of color. What a misogynist. Don't be afraid. We're all human beings. What's wrong with you? Now Americans are afraid of him. You, you sick Americans, what is wrong you with you? sick Americans. All of America. There are plenty of white people who are just oh. as good as any other person. Wonderful people. This is a Muslim. There are many Asians. A leader. Wonderful. There's even some of you black people and brown people. Some of you are wonderful. And wonderful is what we aspire to be. And how do you become wonderful? Submit to the will of God. Oh, submit. Or this submit. country will fail. The world will fail if you keep on So convert or die, right? Hurting the little people. He didn't say that. He knows the limits of the law. Just for a chance for life. Stop alienating. And be Muslim, I advise you, America. Be Muslim. Open the doors of this nation. And even you people who say that you are Muslim, be Muslim. Submit to will, the will of God. This is the answer. So, he ends his sermon with threats. Supposedly, this is his understanding of the God of Abraham, of the God of Islam, is this intimidation, this supremacism, this patronization in which he sits in a country and accepts the freedoms, and I don't even know what his origin is. I'll have to look and see if he even understands where countries like Syria, Egypt, Saudi Arabia, every Muslim-majority country has some type of tyranny, except maybe for a few, Tunisia, Iraq, Indonesia, and a few others. But the majority are military dictatorships. And yet he's lecturing America about home of the whatever and slave. Seriously? I can't tell you how angry I get, as you should be. But what I get angry about the most is not how crazy this one guy is. It's not just one sermon. And it's not just one guy. I get upset because where are the Muslim voices that were going to marginalize this guy? Why is there not an outcry in Boston, in his neighborhood? Why is he not marginalized and pushed out? Why is he allowed to lead funerals, to, to continue marriages and other things he may do? After the Boston bombing, so many said, oh, they appeared so normal. 
the Tsarnaev brothers, they were wanting to be in the Olympics and appeared normal. I wonder what radicalized them. Did anybody do deep research into the sermons in the mosques they went to? Did anybody begin to assess the ideology that these guys were exposed to? And then, oh, there was one, they're apologetic that, oh, they stood up and once the, uh, they, they made a ruckus, they were thrown out. So therefore, it's a moderate mosque because they were thrown out of the mosque because they caused a ruckus. So actually, the guys causing ruckuses were simply more radical than the imam. But the ones that should have been throwing the imam out, the board of directors and others listening to this heinous radicalization, this heinous anti-Americanism, this misogyny, this loathing of what America stands for. Nothing. Go ahead and Google Imam Farooq in Boston and see what the Muslim response is to him. As if he doesn't exist. Is he on the Imam Council of Boston? There's been a lot of good work done in the Boston area by other anti-Islamists. And yet, it's hard to get bandwidth unless you're recognized as a Muslim leader. Those things get printed in small blogs and elsewhere, but when the Islamic establishment, the Islamic side of North America, welcomes people like this into their leadership, those who try to marginalize them are, marginalize them are also marginalized. And then when they say, we're the moderate voices, well, most Muslims don't go to mosques because they listen to this stuff and say, oh my God, this is, this is craziness, we're not going to go. But then they become just like the silent Germans, where they know that not only is it toxic, but it's malignantly enabling to radicals. And they're doing nothing, and yet they're still raising their kids to be Muslims. So... If they believe in American nationalism, if they believe in American patriotism, what this country stands for, then every Muslim has an obligation to make sure that these sermons are heard, are spread as being the death of our faith if we do not begin to create alternative ideas, pro-liberty sermons, pro-American sermons, and begin to have our youth, our young adults, embody the ideas of Americanism and dispense with the ideas of the Islamic State and Muslim armies. Because as long as the concept of a Muslim army waging war, Muslim versus us versus them, etc., the old division, the separatism, which is the oxygen of radicals like this, we will never defeat political Islam. Never. So next time you hear somebody talking about nationalism, you hear somebody talking about patriotism, and you say, oh, this is the beginning, the seed of white nationalism, white supremacism. Hold on a second. Why is Brexit happening? Why did it happen? Because the British, as a part of the EU, had lost their national identity, and many were saying, stop it. We want our national identity. We can still be part of Europe without losing it and watering it down to zilch. That can happen. So the discussion about American identity is similar. So many Americans are fed up with losing our identity to individuals like this. In his sermon, he said, yelling at Americans, say, you are not Muslim. You are evil if you do not allow people to rush into your country and be a part of it. Seriously? I'd like to see how open his doors are at his house if he lets the, the herd rush in. Yes, 
my family came in, as I told you at the beginning of this episode, and waited to be acknowledged in political asylum. That was in 67. And I was born a few months later. But they came in legally through the front door and they knocked. They didn't rush in. These imams are destroying what it means to be American, what it means to be Muslim, and any hope of defeating political Islam. And if we're going to defeat the Islamic identity, are our Muslim youth going to be listening to this guy like they do in Minneapolis, where they, the, the Somali, future Somali jihadis listen and then go on to Shabab, go on to ISIS? Forty different Muslims went to travel to Somalia and ISIS to fight with the jihadis. That doesn't happen because they're sitting just surfing the internet. As we found, most studies show that they're radicalized because of local influences, and then the internet just sort of punctuates it and seals it, puts a ribbon on it, and gets immobilized and operationalized. But the ideology, the separationism comes locally. Sermons like Farouk's in Boston are happening all the time. We just don't know about it. You're not hearing about it. You heard about it here. You heard about the connection here between nationalism, patriotism, and the defeat of Islamism. You cannot defeat Islamo-nationalism of imams like Farouk without a robust, healthy American nationalism and American identity. I can't teach my kids clear, coherent Americanism that I would feel like I would die for and defeat Islamism unless we as a country articulate that through also. Thanks for listening. As always, this is your faithful American Muslim patriot. Thank you for joining me on Reform This Week to Week. Share this on social media. On sound, Find me on SoundCloud, on iTunes. But please share on Facebook, Twitter. My Twitter handle is Dr. Zudi Jasser, D-R-Z-U-H-D-I-J-A-S-S-E-R. Also at Reform This Radio. Thanks for joining me. We'll see you next week. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network.